0: This coming Friday is the March for Life in uh, Washington, D.C. And Lord willing, the church van will be going up um, for that. And as I understand it, there's four, three, three seats left on the van. If you're interested in going to the march, then you need to see Brother Adam Ingram. He has. Um, I believe there's also another van reserved just in case it might be needed. So if you're interested in going, then uh, let Brother Adam know. If you're wondering why they didn't have the March for Life in Raleigh yesterday, it's because it's been moved to May the 18th. Uh, So we'll be reminding you of that as the time comes. Turning in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 49. And I should say, you should should talk to Brother Adam about what time uh, the van's going to leave and all of those uh, details. Genesis chapter 49, and we want to read one verse, verse 19. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask you to help us as we study your word together. We pray that you would underscore in our minds that it is our firm foundation, the word of God. It's your excellent word. And we need no other argument. We need no other plea. Because we have the message of your word. That it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we want to come back to our studies here in Genesis chapter 49. In this passage, we are studying Israel's final words to his 12 sons. And he says what he does to them In the context of the last days. We read in verse 1. Jacob called his sons and said gather yourselves together. That I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. That's the context of his words. And in his words we can see prophecies. Of what will befall believers. In the last days. Today, we come to Jacob's son Gad. And as we begin, I want to remind you of something that Paul wrote to the Philippians. And these are not Paul's words, they're the words of the Spirit of God to us. And the Spirit of God says in Philippians 3 1, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous. Those words are from the heart of a teacher. If you talk to the teachers here at Calvary Christian School, they will tell you that they have to teach the same thing many times, over and over again. But I see them smiling, and that's how they do it. They do it with a smile on their face. It's not grievous to them. It's not grievous to the Spirit of God. Those are words from the heart of a teacher. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to be the teacher. He's why we gather here. If he doesn't teach us when we gather in these meetings and we're not going to be taught. The Lord Jesus said of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. And this book is whatsoever the word living, the Lord Jesus Christ has said to us. And it's the ministry of the Spirit of God to teach us all things and bring all things to our remembrance. And one of the tools that the Spirit of God uses is repetition. He says in Philippians 3.1, it's not grievous for him to write the same things to us. He's not doing it because there aren't other things that he could write. There are so many other things that the Spirit of God could have written that John says in John 21 and verse 25, the world itself... Could not contain the books that should be written. So, why does the Spirit of God write the same things? And do it in such a way that it takes us back to passages that we've already read and passages where we've already been. Well, Philippians 3 1 tells us to write the same things to you, to me, indeed is not grievous. But for you, it is safe. For you, it is safe. And the safety of the word of God, the safety of that which alone can be relied on, is what we need in the perilous times of the last days. And I mention this because as we study Gad this morning, we're going to revisit some passages that we looked at a few months back when we talked about Reuben. But as we do, remember what our teacher says. For you, it is safe. Gad was Jacob's son, born to him uh, by Zilpah, Leah's handmaid. And in verse 19, as he did with Judah and Zebulun and Dan, Israel begins his words to Gad with the meaning of his name. The name Gad means a troop. And Israel says that his son, this son, whose name means a troop, would be overcome by a troop. This word troop means a raiding band, a marauding band. A troop is a band that comes to roam about and raid to take prisoners, to take captives, to take plunder. And Israel says that's what's going to happen to Gad. And it's very important for us to think about that, to have that in our minds, and to see how and why Israel's prophecy came to pass. Turn over, if you will, to Numbers chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32. Look at verse 1. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that, behold, the place was a place for cattle, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, They named the lands where they are. Look at verse 4. Even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. Here we learn that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle, but we're not focusing our attention on Reuben this morning. Our teacher, the Spirit of God, has brought us here to direct our attention to Gad and to uh, connect these things back to what Israel prophesied concerning him. And what we see here is the children of Gad had this great multitude of cattle, and so they come to Moses and they say this land is a land for cattle and we have cattle and so we want this land. Now there are two key phrases that we have to notice and we have to underscore in our minds. The first one is in verse 1 and when they saw the land of Jezer. The second one is at the end of verse 5 and it's the critical one. Bring us not over Jordan. And I believe that everything else that the children of Gad say, everything else that they agree to, everything else that they eventually do has to be viewed through these words. Let's let's just review the history that we find here. In verses 1 through 5, the tribe of Gad asked for their inheritance on this side of Jordan. In verses 6 through 15, Moses protests their decision to stay there. In verses 16 through 19, these two tribes agree that they're not going to settle their inheritance. They're not going to come back here until they have helped the other tribes get their inheritance. And then in verses 20 through 33, Moses agrees to the request of Gad provided they will go over armed before the children of Israel go armed before the Lord until the Lord drives out the enemies and the land is subdued for the other tribes and if you read in the book of Joshua i think we looked at these passages when we were talking about Reuben but if you look in the book of Joshua in chapter 1 and chapter 4 and chapter 22 you'll find that Gad lived up to the agreement. But again, I believe that everything that the children of Gad say and agree to and do has to be viewed through the words there in verse 1 and verse 5. The the words there in verse 1, and they saw, they saw. Gad made a decision here based on what he saw. God says, don't judge according to the appearance. Don't judge by what you see, but judge righteous judgment. Eve did exactly what Gad does here, didn't she? In Genesis 3, 6, we read, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof. And did eat. Lot did the same thing. In Genesis chapter 13. Lot lifted up his eyes. And he saw all the plain of Jordan. That it was well watered everywhere. And then Lot based on what he saw. Chose him all the plain of Jordan. So Eve chose based on what she saw. Lot chose based on what he saw. And their choices reflect an attitude of rebellion in their heart and that's exactly what gad is doing here gad has a great multitude of cattle he looks around and he sees that this land is really a great place for cattle and so he says right here this is where i want to stay and and you know from a a human standpoint we look at this we look at this thinking we look at his logic And it's reasonable. And it makes sense. A man with a very great multitude of cattle would certainly want to stay in a place that would support a very great multitude of cattle. And so that's why Gad chooses. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. We don't walk by sight. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5-7. This kind of thinking, sight first, is wrong for the people of God. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.18, what we're to look, where we're to look, how we're to look, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. They're temporary. They're passing. They're fleeting. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Gad chose to walk by sight, not by faith. And whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Gad chose to look at the things that were seen. He chose to make his decision and live his life based on the temporary. Based on things that just endure for a season. Instead of basing his life and living his life based on eternal things. Gad was more concerned with his cattle. More concerned with earning a living than with living a life that would count for eternity. We're reminded as we look at Gad. We're reminded of what Paul wrote. Philippians chapter 2 where he said that he didn't have anybody like-minded who would naturally care for the state, for the condition, for the spiritual life of the Philippians. And the reason that he said that is because all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. That's what the children of Gad are doing. They're seeking their own They were seeking a place that they perceived would be best for them. Living in the moment, living for the things of time, living for the things of this life, and ignoring the things of eternity. And ultimately, the eternal thing that Gad chose to ignore was the word of God. The word of God that had come to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I'm going to give you this land. Gad chose to ignore the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. We're not far from Deuteronomy 11. If you would just turn over there for just a minute. Keep your place here in Numbers and look at Deuteronomy chapter 11. And notice what the Lord says in verse 11. But the land whither ye go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. A land which the Lord thy God careth for. Think about that. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. From the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain of your land in his due season. The first rain and the latter rain that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And notice verse 15. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle that thou mayest eat and be full. The land that Israel was going to possess was a land for cattle. It was a land that the Lord cared for and had his eyes always upon it every day of the year. From the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. Those little words right there ought to be a blessing to us as we enter this new year of 2024. 2024 is a land that the Lord has his eyes upon from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. We can rest in him all through this year, no matter what happens. And all the people of God had to do here All the the children of Gad in particular, they're the ones that we're talking about, had to do to enjoy the full benefit of the land. And that includes God specifically saying he would send grass in thy fields for thy cattle. All they had to do was, as we see in verse 13, hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your mind. But that's the problem, isn't it? We don't want to do that. We want to have our own way. We want to do our own will. That's what the children of Gad wanted. Their own way, their own will. And we'll see that attitude of heart if you'll turn back again to Numbers 32 in verse 5. It's it's in the words there at the end of verse five. You have a highlighter if you highlight your Bible. I've underlined mine in pink, so I can't miss it. And then I took my pen and I I, I underlined it because there's there's such critical words. And bring us not over Jordan. That's what they're telling Moses. Don't bring us to the place. That the Lord gave to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Don't bring us to the promised land. Don't bring us to the place that the blood of the Passover lamb made possible. The blood of the lamb that that brought us forth from the bondage of the land of Egypt. Don't bring us to the place that the Lord wants us to be. Let's stay here. And the question is why? Why was that, that their attitude of heart? Very simple. The blessing of the promised land meant total and complete surrender. The blessing of the promised land was only available to those who would hearken diligently to God's commands. The blessings of Canaan were only available to those who would love the Lord their God and serve him with all their heart and with all their soul. That's unconditional surrender, isn't it? There's no better definition of unconditional surrender. There's no better con- uh, definition of what it means to die to self than those words in Deuteronomy 11 and verse 13. Dying to self is hearkening diligently to God's command, not casually which he's commanded us here in his word. It means loving the Lord our God and serving him with all of our heart and with all of our soul, that there's nothing more important in our life than that. And the practical picture here in the Old Testament of what it means to die to self is crossing the river Jordan. I never looked up the, the meaning of the word Jordan. But if you do, you find that it means descender. Descender. That's what we need to be in the Christian life, isn't it? Descenders. Descenders from our will and our way. Descenders from all of our lofty thinking and all of our pride. We need to be descenders. The word Jordan comes from a word that means to go down. To go down. To to be prostrated. That's death to self. So, just as the River Jordan was the entrance into the promised land, just as the the River Jordan was the entrance to the place where God wanted his people to dwell, that's what death to self is for the child of God. Dying daily, offering our bodies a living sacrifice. Reckoning ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Being crucified with Christ, and yet living in this body of flesh by the faith, and in the power of the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. That is the entrance for the child of God into the victorious Christian life. And it's these New Testament verses... It's this this New Testament truth that's pictured to us by the crossing of the River Jordan. And so when we consider these things, it begins to to bring before us the gravity of the words of the children of Gad here in verse 5. Bring us not over Jordan. And the message that they're conveying is very simple We'll serve the Lord, we'll serve the Lord but we'll serve him only to a point, only to a point. And the point to which we will serve the Lord is to the River Jordan. That's as far as we're going to go. The point that we'll serve the Lord to is the point where we have to die to self, the point where we have to give up our will and give up our way. That's where we draw the line. That's where Gad drew the line. And it's where most believers, sadly, draw the line today. It's the characteristic of believers in the last days. Remember, Jacob says, I want you to come around. I want you to gather yourselves together because I want to tell you what's going to befall you in the last days. Now, we wouldn't ever verbalize this this thinking But our lives, so many times, say exactly to the Lord what Gad said to Moses. Bring us not over Jordan. And Moses' initial reaction here is worth noting. Look at verse 6. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall you sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them. Wish Moses had stood by his first Um, his initial reaction. You know, one of the things I tell the kids in class, and you other teachers, you tell them the same thing probably. A child will miss a question and say, well, you know, you give them the right answer. They say, well, I thought I started to write that. That's what I thought of first. Well, why didn't you write that down? That first initial thing that came to your mind, Moses should have stuck with his first initial reaction to these people. It's very sad. Worldly carnal Christians who live their own way and do their own will, they're a discouragement to the the believers around them. In fact, they become like Dan, who we, we talked about last Sunday night. They become a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse heels. So that his rider shall fall backward. We're only carnal Christians who live their own way and go in their own direction. They're a discouragement to their brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're a confusion to the world. Now I understand that when the children of Gad explained that they would go and they would fight, they wouldn't come back till the land that the Lord gave these other tribes. For their inheritance till all the land was subdued. And Moses, that's when he agreed to go with their proposal. But that didn't change the will of God. God wanted his people, all of his people, all 12 tribes of them, to go over Jordan and possess the land. And when we read Moses' agreement with the plan of God here, it brings to mind something that we read in one of the history psalms, Psalms 106 and verse 15, where we read concerning Israel, he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. God will do that. How often has that happened in our lives as believers? We have a plan that we want to execute. We have a plan that we want to live by. The problem is it's a plan that is contrary to The word and the will of God. And God deals with us. And he shows us his plan. Just like he did for the children of Gad. In Deuteronomy chapter 11. But like Gad we're determined. We have a better plan. We have a better idea. We have a better direction. And so God gives us our request. He gives us the thing that we want. He allows us to have this This temporal thing that we desire. Maybe it's the location where we want to live because it's there where this good job is and we want to have that job and we want to have all of the things that go with it. He gives us our request, but he sends leanness to our soul. We get that temporal, physical thing, but we suffer spiritually for it. I believe that's what happens to Gad. And Gad did discourage the heart of the people of Israel. In Joshua 22, after the final conquest of the land, after Gad and and his cohorts, Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh, were uh, given permission by Joshua to return to their inheritance on the other side of Jordan. They built this great altar. And the other nine and a half tribes that were in Canaan were ready to go to war over it. They believed they had built that altar in rebellion against God. They believed that Gad and and his uh, cohorts were turning away from the Lord. And so when the other tribes confronted them, they explained that the altar was for a witness between us and you and our generations after us. And what Gad said there sounds very good. He said, God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord and turn this day from following the Lord to build an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God that is before his tabernacle. It's interesting to to read there in Joshua chapter 22 that the things that the children of Gad and the children of Reuben said pleased the children of Israel. But you will not read there that the things that they said pleased the Lord. And it's like that because of what we read in 1 Samuel chapter 22. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Folks, Gad could build all the altars he wanted But what God wanted was not altars. What God wanted was not words. What God wanted was obedience. Obedience from the children of Gad. And so Gad holds fast to his words. His words there in Numbers 32 and verse 5. Bring us not over Jordan. And this is where we begin to see the words of Israel's prophecy concerning Gad come to pass. Gad, a troop shall overcome him. A troop, a raiding band is going to come and you're going to be subjected to, you're going to be overcome by the pillaging and the plundering and the looting of this troop. And that's exactly what happened. Look over at Judges chapter 10, if you will. Judges chapter ten. Judges chapter ten, and look at verse seven. If you have a heading in your Bible above the sixth verse, you'll read the sixth apostasy and servitude. Look at verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon. Now look carefully at verse 8. And that year they vexed and oppressed the children of Israel 18 years. Who did they vex? Who did they oppress? All the children of Israel that were on the other side, Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. That's Gad. It was the children of Gad. Here are the children of Gad, the ones who spoke all of those great sounding words in Joshua 22. But folks, it doesn't matter how spiritual the words of our mouth may be when the attitude of our heart is, bring us not over Jordan. Then what's going to happen is what happened to Gad at the end of verse 6. They forsook the Lord and served him not, and as a result, God sold them into the hands of their enemies. As a result, they were vexed and oppressed and overcome for 18 years just as Israel said they would be just as his prophecy said look over at 1st chronicles chapter 5 1st chronicles chapter 5 here in this chapter we're reading about Reuben, we're reading about Gad, we're reading about the half-tribe of Manasseh. Again, our focus this morning is Gad. And notice verse 25. And they transgressed against the God of their fathers and went a-whoring after the gods of the people of the land whom God destroyed before them. And the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Puel, king of Assyria, and the spirit of tilgath Pilneser, king of Assyria. And he carried them away, even the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and brought them unto Hala and Habor and Harah and to the river Gozan unto this day. I want you to notice that, please. The river Gozan. Now here's the point. The first of the tribes to be taken captive by the Assyrians. The first of the tribes to be overcome by a troop, if you will. The troop of the Assyrians is Gad. Genesis 49 and verse 19. Gad, a troop shall overcome him. Israel's prophecy came to pass just as God gave it to him. And here's what's instructive to notice. The tribe that said, bring us not over Jordan. Bring us not over Jordan. Remember what Jordan means. We said a few minutes ago it means descender. A descender is one who comes down. It comes from a word that means to to go down, to be prostrated. Gad was not willing to do that. The tribe that would not go down and submit and prostrate themselves and their will to the will of God was carried away and brought to another river, the river Gozan. And they were brought there against their will. Gozan means a cutting off. A cutting off. And Gad was cut off. He was cut off from the land that he prized above the land where the blessing of God was. He was cut off from the land that he thought was more important and better than the land that that God had for him to go to. And it'll ever be that way. When the child of God, when we refuse to submit to the will of God, then we'll be taken captive. We'll be overcome by the devil At the devil's will, just as Gad was overcome by the the Assyrians. But Jacob's prophecy doesn't end with Gad being overcome. Genesis 49 and verse 19 says, Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. And he does. He does. In Revelation chapter 7, we read about the 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel that were sealed of God to go forth and be witnesses for him. And in Revelation 7 and verse 5, at the last, in the last week of Daniel's 70 weeks, in the week of the seven years of tribulation, that's at the last, we read that of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Think about that. At the last, in the fire of the tribulation, Gad overcomes, just as Jacob said he would. You know, it's a very sad thing to consider, but so many believers are just like Gad. Their attitude of heart and their life is summed up in those words, bring us not over Jordan. My work, my possessions, all of these other things are my life. That's what I'm living for, and I want to live on this side of Jordan where I can have my will, where I can have my life. And God gives believers their request, and he sends leanness to their soul. And what we see in the lives of those believers is that they're overcome by the enemies of God. And ultimately what happens is that they're not only overcome by the enemies of God but they're taken captive by them. But that's not the end of those believers. Jacob's words to Gad in the last part of Genesis 49:19 apply to believers who live like Gad. They shall overcome at the last. But it's in the same setting. They'll overcome at the last in the fire of the judgment seat of Christ. They'll be saved, yet so is by fire. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Paul is telling us here about believers whose attitude of heart is the same as Gad's. He's telling us about believers who live their Christian life according to those same five words, bring us not over Jordan. And the fruit of their life is not gold and silver and precious stones. The fruit of their life is wood and hay and stubble. And at the last, at the judgment seat of Christ, the fire is going to try every man's work of what sort it is. The wood and hay and stubble Of the bring us over, bring us not over Jordan Christian life, it's going to burn up. Believers who've lived that way are going to suffer loss. Not the loss of salvation, but the loss of rewards, the loss of crowns that could be cast at the feet of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. He shall overcome at the last. But think about the shame that will be felt. Think about the tears that will be shed in that day. As believers look back on those five words, bring us not over Jordan. If we're saved today, what characterizes our life? What words bring us not over Jordan? Or not my will, but thine be done. Which river characterizes our life? Jordan, are we a descender or Gozan? Are we living like Gad today? Are we being overcome by this world or are we living as an overcomer in this world? We don't have to wait to be an overcomer at the last. We can be an overcomer right now through the strength and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 5 and verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this little verse there in Genesis chapter 49. And the message that it contains for those of us who are living in the last days. A message that brings before us the need to examine ourselves today. First of all, examine ourselves to see if we're truly in the faith. And if we truly know you as our Savior, to examine ourselves. To see how we're living in this world. This world that's going to come to an end very soon. We pray that you would speak to our hearts today, that we would allow you to speak to our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name.